And let's pray. Uh, boy, Heavenly Father, good to be here this morning. It's just great to see the people you brought out just to learn of you and to grow in you. And help us, Lord, to be the lights and witnesses you've called us to be in all ways and all things. Lord, we're here for your glory. We're here for your purpose. And we want to be lights and witnesses to a dying world. In your name, amen. Alrighty, uh, Lord willing, time willing, we're going to do verses 7 through 21 of Romans 15. Continuing our study here through the book of Romans. If you weren't with us last week, last week we talked about the concept of personal convictions. Personal convictions. Personal. This is between you and the Lord. Convictions, something that you feel strongly about that may be right or wrong. Now, once again, please note that we're not talking about the big black and white sins that are mentioned in the Bible. Paul uses the example of being meat sacrificed to idols. And what we talked about last week is the purpose of the body of Christ amongst each other when it comes to personal convictions is to love and edify one another. To not let someone's personal conviction become a stumbling block to others or for Satan to use that to cause a division in the church. There's supposed to be this unity, this edifying, this love. And this continues the same theme there in verse 7, therefore. And I remember hearing years and years ago, I don't remember who first said it, see why it's therefore. Therefore, because of this point... Verse 7, receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. So don't allow disunity to come in the body. Don't allow division to come in the body over foolish arguments, over things that can be disputed. It's not worth it. Accept one another. Receive one another. Think about this. You only have so much energy in the day. You do. You only have so much energy. You have so much time. When the body of Christ spends that time and energy battling and arguing over foolish things that don't have any eternal consequence, that is time and energy that is lost, that could have been spent glorifying God and spreading the gospel of Christ. Sometimes there are so many churches and groups of people are so focused on fighting each other, they forget that we're supposed to be not wrestling against flesh and blood. So, with that time and energy we have, let's use that for God's glory to spread the gospel. Because that's the goal there. Look at verse 7. Therefore receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. There is a unity. When we're unified together in that purpose of the Lord, God gets the glory. And that glory is a beautiful thing. For a note taker, you can write down these verses. Isaiah 43, 7. Everyone who is called by name, excuse me, everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. Created for the glory of God. Is that an amazing thing when you stop and you think about that? Created for God's purpose and glory. See, when you learn that lesson, and if you learn that lesson early enough in life, that saves you from a lot of heartache and pain. Because how often do we think we're created for our own purpose, our own pleasure? This is what I want to do. This is what makes me happy. This is what brings joy into my life. It's not about me. It's about the Lord. Created for His glory. Now, what does that look like to be created for His glory? Well, let's take that theme and kind of go with it for a little bit. Matthew 5, 6 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. How can I bring glory to the Lord? I can bring glory to the Lord by being a light and a witness for Him. In John 15, verse 8, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. One of the most glorifying things we can do for the Lord is to spread the gospel and all that we say and all that we do. And that's the context here of what Paul is saying. The whole point of this passage, when you look at this, is the gospel message going out. And as that goes out, that glorifies God. Now think about that. 
Throughout the years, I've talked to a lot of people. And if I talk to people, you run into people that I, I firmly believe love the Lord. They're saved. They're Christians. But there's still this spiritual emptiness in what they do and what they say. And they just know that there's something more. And one of the questions I ask them is, how are you glorifying God? If you're created for that purpose, how are you glorifying Him? And if you think about what Jesus said in Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples. How are we doing at making disciples? Now, this is not a have to, but Lord, if this is what you've created me for, to be a light and a witness for you, I'm only going to find fulfillment in this world when I'm doing the purposes that God has created me for. You know, Isaiah makes it clear that I am just a piece of clay that's supposed to be molded by the potter. I just wonder, once again, how many years we have lost in our lives sometimes of trying to do things our ways, things that we think is going to bring us joy and pleasure, when really what Paul is trying to tell us here in Romans 15, realize you're created for God's glory, realize the purpose you were created for, go out, be a light and a witness in all you do, and as you glorify God in that manner, wow, all of a sudden there's a purpose. There's a purpose to what we do. And this is the example he uses. If you look here in verse 8, he talks about the gospel going out. Verse 8. Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers. Jesus came for the Jews. Obviously, that's what it means by the circumcision. That's the Jews. To confirm the promises made to the fathers. This would be the fathers of the Jewish faith. Verse 9. And that the Gentiles, Gentiles, anybody not Jewish is a Gentile. That's most of us here. And that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. Why are we glorifying God as Gentiles? Because of God's mercy. Because of the salvation that He brought to us and what He gave to us. There's always a reason to glorify God. And look at this theme here. Verse 9. As this is written, for this reason I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again he says, rejoice all Gentiles with this people. And again, praise the Lord all you Gentiles, laud him all you peoples. And again Isaiah says, there should be a root of Jesse and he shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. And him the Gentiles shall have hope. So put this all together. Verse 7, we're together, we're one for the glory of God. Why are we glorifying God? Verse 8, because Christ has come down to save the Jews. And it's also verse 9, to save the Gentiles. We glorify God for his mercy. The mercy that he gave us. Mercy can be a difficult word to define. You know, some people just simply say mercy is not getting what you deserve. We deserve hell. We deserve judgment for our sins. God's mercy, we are saved from that. One definition of mercy says this, kindness or goodwill towards the miserable and the afflicted. Boy, we are miserable and afflicted sometimes, aren't we? And God gives us kindness and goodwill. What is the result of this mercy being in our lives? Verse 9, we sing to his name. Verse 10, we rejoice. Verse 11, we praise. So, so often we look at praise and worship, and we kind of look at praise and worship almost from a music critic's point of view. I don't like the style. I don't like the volume. I don't like this. No. The purpose of praise and worship is just to glorify God. It's just to glorify who he is. See, now what happens, though, sometimes people hear that and they say, well, I have nothing to glorify God about. You don't know what my life's like. You don't know what I'm going through. And you don't know what I'm struggling you glorify God for just being God. You glorify God for the grace that He has given you and the mercy He has given you. You know, if you're born again and saved, there's a reason to glorify God, and that's because He saved you from the pits of hell. Mercy and grace. Psalm says this, But I will sing of your power. Yes, I will sing aloud of your mercy in the morning, for you have been my defense and refuge in the day of my trouble. That's Psalm 59, verse 16. I will sing of your power. I will sing aloud of your mercy in the morning. See, now how many of us get up in the morning and we automatically start the morning off in a bad way? 
We wake up, we don't want to go to work, my back's hurting, my pain is this, I just another day of struggle, another day of discouragement. What would happen if you'd start your day out in praise? I mean, even before you got out of bed, you just start praising the Lord. Now, if you're married, maybe just praise the Lord silently in your head. But the point is, you start out that day with, Lord, this is your day, this is your morning. I keep a devotional right beside my bed, and one of the first things I do when I wake up, put my glasses on, and I usually read something. Just something to start my day off on the right note. Lord, I want to think of you. I'm going to focus on you. It amazes me how many times in the Psalms you see these references to the psalmist saying, starting out the day in the Lord. How do we usually start the day out? Kind of start the day out maybe with a little bit of grouching, a little bit of complaining. We get up, we get going on the day. We're already running behind. So maybe we try to sneak some moments in with God here and there. What would happen if we would do like the Word says? I will sing aloud of your mercy in the morning. You start the day out with just, Lord, I am here. I am here for your purpose. I am here to love your people. I'm here to love the non-believers. I'm here to be a light and a witness. I glorify you. I am created for that purpose. And I just want to be a light and a witness. I'm telling you right now, I honestly think it would change the way you look at your day. Because it starts your day out with an eternal perspective. It starts your day out with realizing, Lord, this is what I'm here for. It's not about me. It's about you. It's about you. And no matter what I'm going to face today, no matter what physical pain, no matter what discouragement, no matter what depression, no matter what, I can praise you for your mercy. Because your mercy endures forever. What a wonderful way to look at the morning. And that's what Paul says to do. Because isn't that what we're looking for? Look at verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at those words. Is this not what we want? Hope, joy, and peace. That's what the world's looking for, is hope, joy, and peace. Most of the people you work with, most of the people you run into that aren't saved, they're looking for that hope, joy, and peace. And there's only one place that can be found, and that's through the Lord. Don't we spend a lot of our lives, apart from God, looking for hope, joy, and peace and things of this world that will never bring eternal hope, joy, and peace. And we put all this time, energy, and effort into it. And then when it doesn't happen the way we want, we walk away discouraged. We walk away disappointed. Because we were trying to find hope, joy, and peace in something that can't give us hope, joy, and peace. Have you ever done something where you put so much effort into something? So much effort into it. And you knew this was going to bring some joy and peace into you, and it just doesn't work out the way you think. So, I had something happen recently where I was going to change a light at my house. Now, I'm not mechanically inclined in any way whatsoever. If you do not know that, I am not in any way mechanically inclined. And that's something that's always bothered me. So I've been watching a lot of this old house, hoping that Norm and Kevin will teach me things. And I watch it passionately because I'm going to learn how to do this type of stuff. And also, I want to be that man for my wife. My Dawn wants that mechanical man. And the way I show my manliness to Dawn is I'll hire somebody to fix that for you, honey. That's the way I show it. We had this light outside of our house that wasn't working. And it was just broken. It wasn't working. We were at a Goodwill store a while ago. We found a light for five bucks, and it looked like it matched and everything. I said, hey, let's buy this. And so what I said is, let's buy this, and we can you know, change the light. Now, by me saying let's, and by me saying we, 
That's really code for, let me hire somebody to come out and change the light. So I decided I was going to try to be a man and change this light on my own. So I go out, I set up the ladder, I start unscrewing the light and everything. As I'm unscrewing the light, I'm thinking, I think there's power running to this. So I go down to the breaker box. I just start flipping breakers. I don't even, I, I seriously, I flipped off six breakers. One of them had to shut power off to it, right? And so what I did is I took my uh, screwdriver and I just started touching wires. No sparks. Okay, I think I'm good. So I got the light off and I see, now this is easier than I thought. White, black, ground. Well, this is easy, right? White to white, black to black, ground to ground. I can do this. So I did it. White to white, black to black, ground to ground. Put the light on, screwed it on, put everything, put a bulb in. Even remember to flip the breakers on. And so you know how exciting that is when you flip the light switch and the light comes on and there's that sense you know, of accomplishment that you did something. But the light didn't come on when I flipped the switch. I still don't know what's wrong. You know, my house could be burning right now because I don't know. I just told, I told Dawn and the boys, yeah, just don't flip the switch on. It looks good from the outside, so I don't know. But you put that time and energy and effort to it, and you think you're going to have this sense of accomplishment. And you walk away with this sense of, yeah, I don't know what I'm doing. I just wonder how many times people in the world, ah, you know what, I'm going to get this girlfriend, this boyfriend, and they're going to bring me joy, peace, and hope. Yeah, no, they're not. They're going to disappoint you. You know what I just need? I just need a different job. That would give me joy. No, it won't. You know what we need? We need a better car. We need a better house. You know what? I just need a few days away. We just we have all these temporary things that we think is going to give us joy, peace, and hope. And really, according to verse 13, the God of hope will fill you with all joy and peace. It has to be through the Lord. Now, you know this. I know you know this. But now let's just live this. And for you that are living this, amen. Now let's pass this message along to other people. Because when we run into the world and they're looking for joy and peace and hope, hey, I got the answer for you. I know where it's at. It's found in the Lord. And that's where it needs to be. A few weeks ago, I went um, to go get my hair cut. And then as I'm sitting there and I'm talking to the gal that's cutting my hair, God just kind of opened a door and it was just her and I Nobody else working, nobody else waiting. This is her and I, and her name happened to be Grace. So we're just talking, and you're making small talk. That's the way I kind of share the gospel. You just start talking to people. Where's the Lord going to take the conversation? So we start talking. She asks, how many kids I have? Okay, how many kids do you have? So she has uh, three kids, and uh, she mentioned about being uh, with her boyfriend. I said, oh, your boyfriend. I said, how long have you been together? She goes, uh, seven years. She has seven years with this guy and three kids. I don't have my glasses on. If I don't have my glasses on, I can't see a single thing. I must have made a face. I didn't mean to. She goes, I know. And I didn't even say anything. She goes, I know, seven years. And, you know, I said, yeah, seven years. I said, so have you guys thought about marriage at all? Well, we're still waiting to see if we're compatible. <laughs> now, I, I'm not trying to pick on this gal. And I said, you know, I, 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 I said, this Lord kind of felt like, just go with this. I said, after seven years, you don't know if you're compatible? Well, he came out of a, of a home where marriage was rough and didn't really have a good picture of it. I came out of a home where marriage was rough, really didn't have a good picture of it. So we don't want to jump into it. And I could tell things were not right. And I said, you know, but seven years. And I felt like the Lord just said, go with this. And she says, she goes, I'm not opposed to marriage. And I just went through and I just started teaching. Marriage is the only thing that came out of the Garden of Eden. Marriage is God's bless. God says he honors marriage, and God's not going to honor this relationship unless you put him first. And marriage, and I just went through the whole thing. I just laid it all out. She got done, and she goes, 
I got goosebumps. That's what she said. No one's ever said that before. Now, maybe the air conditioning kicked on. I don't know. <laughs> but I, in the 18, 19 years I've been teaching, no one's ever said, I got goosebumps. And I thought, hey, hey, hey amen. Um, <laughs> you know, you just present it. She's looking for joy. She's looking for peace. She's looking for hope. She's not going to find it in the life she's living. I don't say that judgmentally. I say that very lovingly. I want her to have joy, peace, and hope. I told her, you know what? There's got to be a good church around here. You start looking for churches. You take your kids. She claims to be a Christian. I said, well, amen. If you're a Christian, then let's live the life. You know, let's put God first. And I said, when you put God first, you're going to find out that all these things just start coming together. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. And that's what the world is looking for. They're looking for joy and peace and hope. We have the answer. The answer is found in verse 13. The God of hope. So let's present this to a dying world. So verses 7 through 13 is the theology of this. Starting in verse 14, how do we practically do this? Verse 14. Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering to the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. How do we practically do this? Well, starting in verse 14, full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to admonish one another. Okay, we're right there, I'm not doing good. Verse 14. I would not describe myself as full of goodness. I would not describe myself as filled with all knowledge. And I really don't like admonishing one another. Admonishing means to warn. That's not a really fun thing to do. So how am I supposed to practically do this if I can't even do verse 14? Well, this is kind of interesting. Because if you look at verse 14, the answer is found in one place. And the answer is found in God's Word. Because when you're in God's Word, there's a goodness that comes out of that. Think, let's listen to these verses. Ephesians 5.26 says this, that we're washed by the water of the Word. John 17, 17, Jesus says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify means make them holy, set them apart. And that happens through God's word. See, I'm not good. The Bible makes it clear in Romans 3 that there's no one who does good. No, not one. Now, Paul also teaches that through Jesus Christ, I take his goodness upon me, his righteousness. I can't do it on my own. But would I say I'm full of goodness? No. But through Christ, I am full of goodness. And what I see is this. As I am in the Word, the Word is like a spiritual bath that just helps keep me clean. Because as I'm in the Word, I'm convicted over certain things. It's like, yeah, Lord, you're right. Lord, I give that to you. I'm sorry. Yeah, Lord, I see that. I'm struggling with that. Lord, help me with that. And it's a very loving spiritual bath that's washing me by the water of the Word. That's sanctifying me and keeping me clean. As I read through the, the passages and devotions, I was just reading this morning, I read through these passages and there's these little moments of conviction. You're right, Lord, I need to work on that. You're right, Lord, that's what we need to work on as a family. And it's washed. It's being washed. See, the thing is, you can get saved and you can love Jesus with all your heart, but if you're not in the Word, you're kind of missing that spiritual bath. Now, now, let's, let me make this point clear here. Let me make this point clear, and don't take this the wrong way. What keeps you, or I should say what it, it gets you into heaven is accepting Christ as your Savior. You guys know this. We've talked about this. This idea of Jesus died on the cross for our sins. My sins keep me out of heaven. God is a holy God. God's a just God. I can't go to a holy God as a sinful man. Christ, I take his holiness, his righteousness on me by believing in faith and accepting, 
an amen. God has given us salvation, and we accept that. Now, part of being a believer is being in the Word and prayer. Now, be careful. Here's a statement that sometimes gets people riled up. I don't have to read the Bible. I don't have to pray. I don't have to tell people about Jesus. I don't. If I go home today and read the entire Bible, witness to 100 people and spend all day in prayer, which is not even possible, is God going to love me more than what He loves me right now? No. See, isn't that amazing? God just loves you. And then for so many years... I thought I was earning more favor, more merit, more grace, more mercy with God because, well, you know, I should be reading more. I should be praying more. I should be witnessing more. And it was something that I learned later on that He just loves me. And that totally changed the way I look at devotions and witnessing and praying. He just loves me, so I just want to spend time with Him. Lord, I just want to see what Your Word has to say to me today. Lord, I just want to talk to You as my, as my Father. A lot of times in my private prayer life, and I'm talking to God, sometimes I'll just call him dad. He says, Lord, I just want to talk to you. Just, I, I, I want wisdom. I need guidance. Can you just help? And all of a sudden it realized this is something I want to do, Lord. I don't have to. And what a beautiful way it is just to walk in God's grace and mercy and just enjoy him. Just enjoy him. So what's going on here is when I'm in the word, it's like taking a spiritual bath where the Lord is saying, let's get that area cleaned up. So that's how it can be full of goodness. Next one, filled with knowledge. Well, according to Proverbs, Proverbs 2 says this, For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth comes knowledge and understanding. If I want knowledge, I need to go to the mouth of the Lord. The mouth of the Lord, He uses the Bible to speak to us. So when I'm in the Word, I have knowledge. Now let's put this all together. Can you go with me to Colossians 3, please? Colossians 3. What you're going to see in Colossians 3 is how this all comes together. Colossians 3, let's go ahead and start in verse 12. Colossians 3, verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Verse 14 of Colossians 3. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, And let the peace of God, which we just talked about the peace of God, let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. We talked about the unity earlier on in the message. Peace, unity. Verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. That's where we get wisdom. Teaching and admonishing one another. Admonishing, warning one another. Listen, it is not fun to admonish. Teaching, I love teaching. Love teaching. Admonishing, that's not as much fun. Admonishing is a warning. That means I love you enough to get into your life and say, listen, I'm concerned for you spiritually. I believe this action, what you're doing, is not healthy and it's going to cause problems. And I would hope that someone would love me enough to admonish me. Now, a lot of times we don't like to do this. Why? Because we want everybody to like us. We don't want to be the bad guy. But part of being in God's Word and part of us being a body of Christ is loving each other enough to say, hey, I'm concerned. And how do we admonish and teach? In psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Right there's that attribute of worship that we talked about earlier. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. 
See, this passage has everything. This has the unity of the body that we were talking about. It has the importance of teaching and the wisdom that comes from God's word, admonishing one another, filled with all knowledge. It has the idea of worship. It has all of this being brought together. So what Paul is trying to tell us here in Romans 15, the way to practically put this into perspective, you've got to have God's word. Jump back now to Romans 15. You've got to have God's word. And guess what happens with God's word? Verse 15, Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you. You're going to hear the same thing again and again and again. In the years I've been teaching, do you realize how many times we've talked about Jesus dying on the cross for our sins? How many times we've said, hey, let's get in the word. Hey, let's pray. That's what we do. We remind. For any of you that's ever taught Sunday school for any years, you're going to tell the story of Zacchaeus. I don't know how many times. You're going to tell the story of Jonah and the big fish. A whole bunch. One of the things that we do at home, we get together on Sundays with the boys, and as we're either eating lunch or supper, we sit down and I say, okay, who was your teacher? Tell me what you learned in class. And it was laden that for a while there, what he learned in class every day or fourth, he learned that Jesus died on the cross for his sins. So every Sunday, laden, who was your teacher? Okay, this is your teacher. What did you learn in class today? I learned that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Amen. This went on week after week after week. Finally, one Sunday, laden, what did you learn? I learned that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And laden, frustrated, goes, how many more times do I need to learn that? <laughs> Buddy? Just keep learning that. Keep reminding. Listen, that's what we do. We constantly remind of what the Lord has already done and what He said. Parents, that you that have kids, as you get ready to leave the house and your kids are left there at home, what do you do? You're walking out the door reminding them. Do this, don't do that. When we go someplace with the boys, before we let them out of the vehicle, I usually stop and say, okay, let's go over the ground rules. No yelling, no screaming, no fighting. Don't climb trees, stay off the road. Go over the ground rules. It's kind of interesting. And Paul and Peter, in the letters that the Holy Spirit gave them to write, if you look at their last books that they, they wrote, 2 Timothy for Paul and 2 Peter for Peter, and 2 Timothy, Paul kept saying, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you. 2 Timothy again, Paul, remind them of these things. Paul's final book, he's writing to Timothy saying, Okay, I just want to remind you of everything I've already told you. Peter is even more so in 2 Peter. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. Yes, I think it's right as long as I'm in this tent to stir you up by reminding you. Beloved, I now write to you the second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. He just keeps going on and on and on. It's kind of like these guys through the Spirit are writing their last words to the body of Christ. It's like, I just want to remind him one more time. Okay, do, do we remember to shut the lights off? Do we remember to shut the oven off? I mean, all these little reminders. Paul says here in Romans 15, I'm just going to keep telling you guys the same things again and again and again. Let's just keep reminding people of it. You know, as a pastor, sometimes there feels like there's almost this burden to come up with something new and exciting and different. And I remember uh, hearing at a very early age um, something that Chuck Smith always used to say, simply teach the Word of God simply. And as you do that, you just simply keep presenting the same truths of God's Word and let the Lord remind people, verse 15, of what God's Word has to say. And that's the beauty of that. It's just you just keep presenting truth. And as you present truth, you trust that the Holy Spirit will minister to each one individually as it needs to be ministered to. Which takes us right into verse 16. That I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God. 
We're back to that idea of gospel again. Minister means to serve. Every one of you here is a minister. Because the word minister just means to serve. So you are serving God how? By proclaiming the gospel of God. So you're in the ministry. By serving God, by proclaiming the gospel. And that's what you're going to do. You're just going to keep reminding people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And guess what happens when you share the gospel? Verse 17. Therefore I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus and the things which pertain to God. See, now we're back to our glory word again. How do we glorify God? If that's what we were created for, we were created for the purpose to glorify God, then the best way to glorify God is through proclaiming who He is. And that brings glory to God because I'm proclaiming who Christ is. So how does this look? What does this look like to minister to God? The first thing you do, verse 17, is make sure you're glorifying Christ. How do you glorify Christ? Verse 18, For I would not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me, in word and deed, to make the Gentiles obedient. In word and deed, glorify Christ. In word and deed. We just read in Colossians 3 that whatever you do in word or deed, do all for the glory of the Lord. So whatever I do, wherever I'm out, I'm always representing Jesus Christ in my deeds and my actions. How am I representing Him publicly? How am I representing Him in what I'm doing and what I'm saying? How am I representing Him in my words? Do my words come across glorifying the Lord? Are my words coming across in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? Is the world seeing Christ in me? I shared this story, I think it was on Wednesday night a few weeks ago, so some of you may not have heard it. Oh, a couple of months ago, we had bought something from a store, and I was going to have to go return it because it wasn't working properly. I absolutely hate going to stores and returning things. I absolutely hate it. It's one of the least favorite things to do. And I didn't think it was going to go real well. So I was getting ready to go. It was over in BG. So I'm getting ready to go, and I grabbed my Harvest uh, Prayer Chain T-shirt, and I put that on. So I'm getting ready to go, and I thought, I don't want to wear this. Because if the return doesn't go real good, and, and I have to kind of put my foot down, really don't want to be representing the church in Jesus Christ. So I changed my shirt. And then I felt convicted because why you don't, what's what? Now, now what you're saying, as long as you're not wearing a Christian shirt, you can act like a jerk. I mean, that's kind of what it's saying. So I put the prayer chain shirt back on, just for the record, and uh, the return went okay. But isn't there times where you don't want to act like a Christian in word and deed? I mean, you kind of don't. I don't want to be this way. You know what? This is the only way the world understands. Paul saying, come on, man, in word and deed, are you representing Jesus Christ to the glory of God? That's a pretty tough thing, but it'll give you the strength to do it. What about 19? And mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about to Urquim, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Verse 17, I glorify Christ Jesus, things pertaining to God. Verse 18, in words and deed, I glorify Him. Verse 19, in signs and wonders. Well, I'm not really doing good on the signs and wonders aspect. I don't know about you guys. I believe in signs and wonders. I believe God heals and moves. I've seen it happen. But you know, the interesting thing about signs and wonders, we get kind of caught up in that sometimes, don't we? If you go back and read the Gospels, Jesus obviously used signs and wonders. Fed the 5,000, fed the 4,000, he cast out demons, he walked on water, he calmed storms, coins are coming out of fish. Boy, he did signs and wonders. Book of Acts, we have signs and wonders. Paul, in writing in the epistles, says that uh, they use the signs and wonders of an apostle. They exist. God can use and move with them. But here's the thing about signs and wonders. 
Signs and wonders don't bring people to salvation. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is what brings people to salvation. Signs and wonders are there to confirm the message of the messenger. If signs and wonders would let people get saved, well, then Jesus would have kept feeding everybody. He just would have said, you know what, 5,000, 4,000, 10,000, just come get free meals. Because the more free meals you get, the more you're going to come and understand who I am. Or Jesus would have said, you know, I'm just going to walk on water everywhere I go. There's times and purposes for the signs and wonders, and those signs and wonders confirm the message of the messenger. Are signs and wonders still happening today? You bet they are. Let's not put the Holy Spirit in a box. But let's be careful we don't chase the signs and wonders, because this is what's interesting. We were just talking about this yesterday at the uh, Saturday Men's Study. And I was just praying over this on Thursday, and God kind of brought this all together. Uh, John Corson, give credit where credit's due, John Corson's the first guy I ever heard teach on this. He says, who is the greatest human being that ever lived? According to Jesus, the greatest human being that ever lived was John the Baptist. And do you know, by studying out the Gospels, we don't see any recorded miracles of John the Baptist. So for Jesus to say he was the greatest human that's ever lived, born of a woman, was John the Baptist. But he didn't do any signs and wonders as far as we know. Now if you were going to rank the greatest people born of a woman, not including Jesus, I mean, come on, wouldn't you kind of throw Elijah up there near the top? Guys calling fire down from heaven. Great exit. I mean, come on, chariots of fire right up to heaven. You'd have to include Elisha, right? Elisha's healing people and doing stuff. What about Moses, plagues? Jesus said the greatest man ever born of a woman was John the Baptist. And why was John the Baptist the greatest man ever born of a woman? Because John's Baptist's sole purpose was what? To point people towards Jesus Christ. That's all he did. His whole thing was, I am a messenger out in the wilderness pointing you towards the Messiah. Guess what we get to do? We get to be a messenger in the wilderness of this world pointing people towards the Messiah. That's what we get to do. And what a blessing that is. Verse 20, And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation, but as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. Paul says, hey, I just want to go tell people who don't know about Jesus. That's what I want to do. Because I'm not here to steal someone else's thunder. I'm not here to build on another man's foundation. Because I just want to proclaim Christ to people that are not hearing the gospel message. How simple, how straightforward is that? Marv, you can come forward here for the final song.